wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for Thursday, July 9th, 2020. I am Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. And we got a new NXT champion in the house coming off a Great American Bash night two last night with Keith Lee beating Adam Cole to become the first ever North American champion and NXT champion simultaneously. It was a great main event, great show. AEW Fighter Fest Night 2 was equally entertaining. We're talking all things about both shows here and today on WrestleRant Radio with Mr. Marceau, of course, as always. But before we get to that awesome conversation, we do have another conversation that I've been wanting to air here on the show for a little over a month now. It seems now fitting more and more fitting now than it has at any other point with Adam Cole now losing the NXT Championship, uh, we recorded an interview, Adam Cole and I, about a month, month and a half ago, right before TakeOver in your house, before he was about to face Velveteen Dream, um, defend the championship against him in the main event of that show, although it wasn't the main event, it was like in the middle of the show in that uh, backlot brawl they had. But we had this great conversation about his favorite moments and matches as NXT champion. And this was recorded a month ago. And of course, during the course of the conversation, you hear him make several references to being one of, if not the greatest NXT champion of all time. So, of course, it is a bit outdated, but I thought the timing would work out well now that Adam Cole is no longer the NXT champion coming off of last night's epic main event. So you're going to hear my conversation with Adam Cole coming up talking all things his NXT championship reign over the last year as, again, in my opinion, the greatest NXT champion that the brand has ever seen. Whether Keith Lee can come close to that, matches, reign, have a better reign remains to be seen. We're talking Keith Lee's big win um, on the show a little later on. And I did talk to Keith Lee over the phone earlier today. And that interview is actually going to be up on Bleach Report first thing Friday morning. Um, I'm not sure when I'll air the audio of that interview, maybe in two weeks. Next week here on the show, in addition to breaking down everything else going on in the world of WWE and previewing Extreme Rules, the horror show, whatever, with Mr. Marceau, um, I'll be airing my conversation that I recorded on Wednesday with a cowboy James Storm talking NWA, almost going to WWE, his time in TNA, and so much more. So that's coming up next week. Today we got Adam Cole. Two weeks we might have Keith Lee. I, I already talked to him today, but we might be airing that interview in two weeks. So a lot to look forward to. If you want to stay tuned to the show every single week, you can do so by finding the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, um, Podbean. We're all over the place, baby. So find the show, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show, and never miss an episode every single Thursday. Wrestle Rant Radio is also the place to go to check out all things uh, Wrestle Rant Radio. And you can also find me on the socials on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, and also on YouTube at YouTube.com backslash C backslash 
Graham GSM Matthews. We had a live uh, episode of Hashtag Ask GSM for the seven-year anniversary of the show on Wednesday on the channel, answering your questions from Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube live on the channel. That's up right now. It's been a pretty busy week, so and a lot to look forward to, as I said earlier, going forward as well. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, let me welcome on right now the now former NXT champion, Adam Cole. Hey, Graham. I'm good. How are you? Doing awesome. Doing awesome. My first question for you being, uh, you're going to be defending the NXT Championship this coming Sunday against Velveteen Dream, of course, one final time at TakeOver. Uh, But you actually already beat him about a month ago on NXT. So is your preparation the same going into Sunday, knowing what worked for you the first time? So, yes and no. Um, Of course, there's a big part of me that knows that I know Velveteen Dream's game. Uh, I know what he's capable of. I know his strengths, his weaknesses, and things like that. I know that in a one-on-one wrestling match, I got this down. Um, I'm confident, but but considering considering this matchup is a little bit different, that obviously throws a wrench into things. Mm. Um, which you know, I've said this before. This is a classic classic example of of them trying to make sure I lose the NXT Championship as soon as possible. But that's not going to happen. Uh, I'm, I'm very very confident that Velveteen Dream is a guy that I'm capable of beating. Uh, he has been a difficult opponent for me, but I'm confident that, again, take over in your house, Adam Cole versus Velveteen Dream. This will be the last time the Velveteen Dream ever challenges for my NXT championship ever again, and I'm feeling good. How weird was it for you to not be hearing you know, fans chanting Adam Cole, baby, and the signature boom and everything else whenever you made your entrance before? I mean, obviously, recently, the NXT stars started appearing in the audience, but before that, how weird was that for you to not have that sort of reaction when you come out? Oh, it's definitely strange. Um, but at the same time, it's not as strange as I think uh, people imagined. Because uh, for those of you who don't know, I've actually been doing the Adam Cole Bebe uh, since like 2009 or 2010. Mm-hmm. And really, the, the first five or six years that I did it, nobody did it with me. <laughs> that was just something that I did. It, it was part of my shtick. It was part of who Adam Cole was. Um, so I know what that feels like already to do it. And, and no one reacting or yelling it along with me. I mean, normally it was followed up with booze or things like that, which made it a little bit easier. But, um, yeah, it, it de- definitely very strange to not hear the crowd say boom or Adam Cole, baby. And I can't wait. Whenever th- that time is, I can't wait to come back and uh, have that happen again. Well, to kind of go back to when you first won the NXT Championship almost exactly one year ago, ago, I spoke to Montez Ford last week about how special of a night TakeOver 25 was, and for your match specifically, I mean, having been there myself, my buddy and I always kind of joke about how when you hit the last shot and you won the championship, that he said that's the loudest he's ever counted one, two, three in his entire life. It was just an incredible reaction. Uh, Where does that match with Johnny Gargano kind of rank among your favorite title matches to date, and is it the greatest that you've had, you know, up to this point? So that's that's really really tough to say um, as far as what what my favorite or I think my greatest uh, championship defense was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll tell you that one is certainly up there. Um, when I think back to that night, I mean it, it was such a combination of things uh, because again, I had just wrestled Johnny Gargano a few months prior uh, WrestleMania weekend where he beat me and he became the new NXT champion. Mm-hmm. So not only did I have that looming over my head, but again the, the pressure of having a rematch when the first match was was loved as much as it was is very challenging uh and, and that puts a lot of pressure on you so we i knew going in to take over 25 that i had a lot to prove um and, and certainly had a lot to live up to but fortunately again that night was special in some ways and not just because that's the night i won the championship but i i view that as 
uh, liking it even more than the first match that we had. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that one was very, very special in its own right. Uh, and it's certainly up there when it comes to my my favorite NXT title defenses. But if I had to pick a favorite, I don't know if this is what you're asking as well as far as my favorite championship defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I would say strictly because of the month and the positioning and where I was, I think the successful title defense against Pete Dunn at Survivor Series mm-hmm. uh, is also up there. I hold that one, and the night that I won the championship is very special. Uh, not only because... I got to wrestle at Survivor Series, uh, and it was the first time the NXT Championship was defended. But just the crazy months that I and so many other people had had, and thinking that less than 24 hours before, I went through a 50-minute war inside War Games. I was thrown off the top of the uh, cage, and just the battered, beaten, bruised, but still went out, still had a tough match, and still walked away as the NXT Champion. I, I, I think that one is up there, too, as far as being very special as far as title defenses go. And you mentioned the month of November. You mentioned that match with Pete Dunne at Survivor Series. I think when people kind of think about your best matches as NXT champion, they tend to forget about that Daniel Bryan match from the main event Mm. of SmackDown a couple weeks before. That was what kicked off Survivor Series season and how great of a match that was beating, uh, you know, beating Daniel Bryan clean as a sheet, main event of the show. Uh, You know, again, with with that matchup, was it one of those matches that also was kind of special to you because of how it kind of came together on a whim earlier that day? Absolutely. Um, again, this is a big reason that I think it's so hard for me to pick a favorite because so many are so special, especially mm-hmm. when you talk about it. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Daniel Bryan was a guy um, when I was a fan in, in high school. He was a guy I idolized. I remember the first time watching him and being so captivated by him. I thought he really is the best wrestler in the entire world. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was, again, so captivated by his matches and what he brought to the table. Uh, But on the independent scene, as he was leaving and I was kind of entering, I never had the chance to wrestle him before. So that main event, last minute, just got there, throwing your boots on the second you get their match that I had with Daniel Bryan was the first time we had ever faced each other in any capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was very special to me. Uh, and then, of course, yes, the, the circumstance of the last minute and and getting a phone call and rushing around to uh, pack my bag and, and get on a plane super last minute and just rushing as fast as we could to get to the building. And then next thing you know, I'm out in the ring uh, defending the NFC title against Daniel Bryan. It was crazy. It was so, so crazy. Um, and then fortunately, again, a lot of people really liked that match. A lot of people really enjoyed it. And uh, Daniel Bryan, without question, without question, is one of the absolute best pro wrestlers I've ever stepped into the ring with. So I'm very happy I beat him. And when you talk about like great wrestling matches, a lot of your title defenses rank up there. And like you said, it's kind of hard to pick just one. Uh, but kind of on the same subject there, with the next weekend being Backlash, Edge Orton being touted as the greatest wrestling match up to this point. Uh, what are your thoughts on Edge versus Orton as well as how, what makes a truly classic match in your opinion? Well, uh, first and foremost, as far as uh, what makes a truly classic match, um, uh, I mean, there's so many things that play into this. Uh, you know, first of all, the unbelievable story leading up into the match is, is so, so important. Mm-hmm. Um, how emotionally invested the audience is uh, before the match even begins. How emotionally invested they are watching the match. Obviously, we don't have um, a bunch of fans in the audience right now. Um, so hopefully them being invested 
as they're sitting on their couch or wherever they are watching the event. Um, as far as Edge and Randy Orton are concerned, my God, they're, they're two of the absolute greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. They are. I mean, the, the matches that Edge has had have been unbelievable. The matches that Randy Orton has had will be unbelievable. But the greatest wrestling match ever, I mean, when you think about the greatest wrestling matches ever, I personally think you think of Adam Cole and the amazing NXT title defenses that I've had and the many, many more NXT championship defenses I'm going to have. I mean, when we talk about greatest wrestling matches ever, I mean, look no further than yours truly, my man. Well, I mean, what's very special about your title reign is that it's very rare nowadays that we get such an awesome, not just one, not two, but three, like a trilogy of matches that you had with Johnny last summer in New York, you had it in Bridgeport at 25, and then in Toronto in August last uh, you know, last year. So with that matchup, where does that matchup kind of rank among the others? I know, again, it's very tough considering how great some of the other matches are, but with it being a three stages of match, or I'm sorry, three stages yes. of hell match, essentially, um, how special was that match to you in the main event of that takeover? Yeah, I was very proud of that one as well. Um, because I do think in the first two, I, I think myself and Johnny, we showed that, uh, you know, bell to bell, uh, a straight up wrestling match, um, we can have a great one, and, and I think we proved that. Uh, you know, WrestleMania weekend, and then at Takeover Twenty Five. Uh, so this one was so much different. Um, uh, you know, of course we started with the wrestling match, but then it turned into a street fight. Then it turned into this crazy cage match with weapons all over the cage. It was wild. Um, so yes, I, I'm very proud of that one as a way to close out. Uh, the Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano feud, uh, just because, again, coming off of two matches that people really, really enjoyed, uh, two matches that I really, really enjoyed. And and we knew in this case, let's make this one as different, um, as crazy, as wild as as we possibly can to really put a stamp on this trilogy of matches. Um, I remember laying there uh, when that match was done and and being very proud of, of the matches I had with Johnny and also being very sore. (laughs) <laughs> and people, you know, they, they think about those takeover matches as NXT champion that you've had over the last year with Johnny, with Ciampa, with, you know, Survivor Series with Pete Dunne. But again, it, it, for me, it's it's the television matches like the Daniel Bryan match or even the yeah. Matt Riddle match from the October yeah. 2nd edition of NXT that are truly, truly special. And not with that match, it's a takeover level match happening on NXT TV. Of course, given the circumstances, NXT going head to head that night with competition. Where does right. that match rank for you? And with it being kind of a takeover level match in on NXT, not only on NXT, but kicking off the show that night. Yeah, that's another one. Um, again, and I hate, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, so I apologize, <laughs> but um, that one was incredibly special. Um, and again, it was a lot of it was the, the stuff surrounding the specialness of that night. Mm. I mean, that was the first point. It wasn't the first point that NXT was on USA, yep. but it, it was the first time we were live two hours, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on USA. And like you said, we were going head to head and we were opening the show with this NXT title match. So again, pressure is high, really, really high. Uh, but fortunately, um, I look at a guy like Matt Riddle, uh, and I mean this again, don't mean to sound like a broken record, but he truly is one of the best. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the guy and his skill set and his ability, uh, he's captivating. He's just an unbelievable pro wrestler. So, um, again, I knew we had a ton to prove. I knew that a lot of eyes were going to be on us. And, and fortunately, the NXT crowd that night was ready to go. They were ready to chant. They were ready to have a good time. Um, And, again, I was more motivated than ever to to just have a a really, really great 
uh, wrestling match. And at that time as well, I mean, I was I was dealing with the with my broken wrist at the time mm-hmm. too. There, there were so many different factors that were going on, but so much of those few months that had kind of happened happened so quickly. It was almost like you didn't have time to truly be stressed. You were just so worked up in the moment and what was happening before you. But, um, yeah, I, I'm very, very proud. I feel like that showcased what the NXT Championship is all about to a television audience mm-hmm. uh, to the best of our ability. And, yeah, very proud of that title defense. And it was just two months later that you faced Finn Balor on NXT TV as well. And it's rare nowadays that not only that you have the reign that you have had with the great matches and just over a year long, but that you not only get to just, you know, beat their record, but beat the person who previously held the record as the longest reigning NXT champion of all time, having beaten him six months ago. And again, same type of situation, kicking off the show that night, such a great show, Rhea and Shayna made eventing that evening. Uh, Again, your thoughts on the Finn Balor match from back in December for the NXT championship. Yeah, again, um, why that one was special is it, at that point, um, I was in pretty deep with with my NXT championship run, and I was really solidifying myself as one of the one of the best NXT champions of all time. But the one looming thing was the longest reigning NXT champion of all time, Finn Balor, who had recently come back to, mm-hmm. to NXT. So a lot of people had kind of fantasized about us challenging each other uh, with the NXT title on the line. So that one was really special. Um it was special also because I'd only faced Finn Balor one time before, and that was actually in his farewell match on the Independence to go to NXT. And that was the one time we had faced each other. Uh, he won that match as well. So fast forward a bunch of years later, and here we are um, again on NXT television, much bigger stage with the NXT title on the line. It was really cool. Um Again, I, I do. I look at Finn Balor as absolutely one of the greatest NXT champions of all time. So it was really important to me to not only have a good match with Finn Balor, but to walk away still the NXT champion to prove that, again, I am what I say I am, and that's the greatest. So uh, very, very special. And finally, the Ciampa match from TakeOver a couple of months ago. Another great NXT all-time champion. And now it main evented the show. And not only that, but it was like a four- or five-month-long story with you guys kicking yeah. it off on October, drawing it out, drawing it out, drawing it out, delivering in the main event of TakeOver Portland. Um, your thoughts on how important a storytelling is to you know your feuds, matches, and how great that match was for you as NXT champion? Well, yeah, as far as storytelling goes, it's literally everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are some situations where maybe you don't have the time or maybe it's not uh, the situation that is brought to the table where the story that you actually have to tell is within that 15, 20, 25 minutes in the ring. But if you have the ability to tell the story over months and and an extended period of time and then also tell your story in the ring, there's nothing better. When you think about all the all the greatest, most exciting, most dramatic and emotional wrestling matches. So many of these stories uh, have been built for years. I mean, for God's sakes, one example I always bring up is WrestleMania 25 Mm -hmm. and Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. There was an immediate build to that match leading into their classic encounter. But another reason that one was so special is really that one had started building years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, years and years and years, long before they actually started the current day feud leading into WrestleMania 25. So there was there was almost this, this story there just waiting, waiting to be told. And when they told it, they had the people. They completely had the people, and that's why it was special. So with Tommaso, it was a similar situation in the sense of it was supposed to be Ciampa and Gargano WrestleMania weekend. Then it ended up being me, and, and Johnny was able to beat me. 
and Tommaso got to come on stage and celebrate with Johnny. Then I took it away from Johnny, and I beat Johnny, and I beat everybody. I beat everybody except Champa. And then Champa comes back from neck surgery, and he wants Goldie back, and it's the championship that he never lost. It's just, I get excited talking about it. It's just exhilarating. Um, so then to go and have the match I had with him um, and finally close that that chapter of the gargano Champa saga as far as Adam Cole is concerned, uh, was awesome. It was really, really cool. I think a lot of people thought he was going to walk away as champion that night. didn't happen because, again, I'm the greatest NXT champion of all time. But very, very proud of that match as well. Very, very cool. And you and Velveteen have had a similar story. Looking forward to that match being a classic as well on Sunday. Adam, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Pleasure talking to you. Big thanks once again to Adam Cole for the conversation. Had a great time talking to him about his best moments and matches as NXT champion. But from there, we transition into my review, as well as Mr. Marceau's two cents, on AEW Fighter Fest Night 2 and Night 2 of WWE NXT's The Great American Bash from last night. Mr. Marceau, welcome back to the show, brother. How you doing? Doing great, GSM. Outside right now, catching some glamorous rays outside here in uh, good old Massachusetts on my day off. Perfect, perfect. Well, you love to hear it. You love to see it. We enjoyed Fighter Fest and Great American Bash last night. Of the two shows, you watched NXT first, right? Yes, sir. Did you watch Fighter Fest first last week as well? Because I know I did. I watched Fighter Fest first last week. Okay, so I switched it up. I watched Great American Bash first live this week on a bit of a delay, and then Fighter Fest afterwards. Um, overall, your overall impressions of both shows last night. Um, I think they're both pretty good. I mean, some had some goods, had some bad, had some in between. So, um, I think I liked last week's shows better as a whole. But mm-hmm. uh, I think they both are still good shows for certain aspects of each show. No, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. I enjoyed both shows as I did last week. I'd really have to go back and look at the results for last week to see which night I enjoyed more of the two. I think I enjoyed Great American Bash more last week, is what I said. I enjoyed Great American Bash more this week as well. Um, but we'll get into that as we break down both shows here on the show. Um, before we go any further, though, we recorded the show last week before the ratings came out. We're recording this, you know, this show this week before the ratings come out again. Um, NXT two and zero in the last couple of weeks. I mean, granted, AEW has won literally almost every single week since October, um, but NXT has had the upper hand in the ratings for the last two weeks and probably the third week. I would only imagine that they would win again this week. Um, has that surprised you? What are your thoughts on NXT winning the ratings the last couple of weeks, and what do you attribute that to? Um, I'm not totally surprised. I honestly think it might be the Sasha Bailey effect. I mean, especially Sasha, she kind of has her own like hardcore fans, and I know Charlotte's a big deal too. But like Sasha fans are like fucking Bella Twin fans. Like <laughs> they will go to the end of the world to support them. So I think a lot of it does have to deal with Sasha and Bailey. I mean, I think it's just like their fans coming over, maybe not normally watching NXT, Sasha being on with Bailey, kind of attracting more viewers. So I think this week will kind of kind of show more of that. I mean, if they NXT wins by a big margin and NXT wins again, I think maybe it's just the project itself. But I think the last couple weeks I think would I would say contributes to them being down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if they win again, I I think that'd be a tough, tough uh tough sign for AEW when you don't have anyone on the main roster on the show and just getting I, I think they'll lose I, I mean I think Keith Lee Adam Cole is the biggest match uh, out of both shows last night even though it was the main event but um, if NXT wins again I, I would be a little fearful for AEW 
Yeah, well, I assume NXT wins again this week. It's really going forward is the question. NXT has won before. It's not that they've never won before in this ratings war, which really doesn't mean much when we're talking about 600, 700,000 people, <clears throat> as opposed to 10, 15, 20 years ago when it was like 4 to 5 million or 5 to 6 million or whatever, um, or probably even more than that. It's, it's, it's just not even close anymore. But, uh, yeah, I know, Bailey and Banks, I guess it's safe to say they're more of a ratings draw than Charlotte, who had been on every episode for, like, three or four months straight. Is it safe to say that Banks and Bailey are more of an appeal to fans on NXT than Charlotte was for as long as that she was there? I, I think so. Like I said, I think Sasha herself has more of a hardcore fan base, and they'll watch anything that she's on. Charlotte, I mean, I don't know if she has that kind of following, so I'm not too surprised that Sasha and Bailey did better than than Charlotte did. I just I think a lot of special casual people don't care for Charlotte, and then I think more casual fans are more open to Bailey and Sasha, and then they have their own hardcore fans as well. So uh, not too surprised there, and I, I, I kind of contribute that to more of the boost in the ratings. I agree. I agree. I guess we'll see what uh, what really transpires going forward. I've mentioned this before. The ratings don't really matter to me much. Um, I watch what I watch. I try to watch both shows every other week, so I'm doing my part, but. At the end of the day, there are two great shows. Wednesdays are undoubtedly the greatest night to be a wrestling fan. Between NXT, between Great American Bash, I'm sorry, between NXT and AEW, um, Great American Bash and Fighter Fest last night, two great shows, two great companies. I really have no complaints. Um, so I think you mentioned earlier that we started with Great American Bash last week. So we'll start with Fighter Fest here today for night two of AEW Fighter Fest live on TNT on Wednesday night. We kicked off the evening with the AEW World Tag Team titles on the line. Adam Page and Kenny Omega defending against the private party, uh, private parties, Isaiah Cassidy and Mark Quinn. Very good opener. Um, I thought this was much better than the Santana-Ortiz private party match from last week. And it may have helped there were championships on the line. I'm not sure too many people actually thought private party were going to win. Um, so I wouldn't really attribute it to that at all. I think it was more so the fact that the two teams worked very, very well together. And I think we've seen this match before. I think we mentioned that last week. I think they were one of the first teams that Page and Omega first knocked off um, early on in the run as a tag team. But it was still very, very good. I thought a great way to kick off the evening. And still the AEW World Tag Team Champions, Adam Page and Kenny Omega. Uh, what were your thoughts in the matchup, RJ? And were you surprised at all that Page and Omega once again emerged victorious, still the AEW Tag Team Champions? No, I thought it was a good match. Uh, like you said, good opener here. Um, never really thought Private Party was, was at least had a chance of winning I, I didn't think they really played that over well so if anything like kind of work on that a little bit more i didn't think the titles are ever kind of really in danger of being changed here um that was a good match good opener uh good to see omega and page retain now interesting to see what they do from here um i mean i don't the tag they like you said it's kind of bailey effect here they've beaten everyone so it's interesting to see what they do next probably Either I would say probably Lucha Bros or FTR next, but um, good good match, good opener for the show, and uh, just like I said, good match. I think I'm not sure if I'm loving Matt Hardy as their manager. It kind of it kind of feels like Michael Hayes as the Hardy Boys manager, kind of just random. Yep, doesn't really fit well with them, but uh, is what it is. I like Private Party. Just they need to build them up a little bit more than before giving them a tag match to make people believe they actually have a chance to uh, to take those belts from Omega and Page. Yeah, I'm a big Matt Hardy fan. The thing is, is that I don't mind the pairing. It's not like, oh, this makes no sense, like Drake Maverick with AOP. Like, that was just bizarre. Um, this is a bit odd, too. 
And I saw him making the comparisons online saying, oh, you know, it's like the equivalent to like what you just said, Michael Hayes managing us, the Hardy Boys, back in the 90s. But was that pairing ever successful? Like, is that a very good comparison to make considering that trio was never really all that iconic, didn't really do much for the careers of Jeff and Matt Hardy? Yeah, that's kind of how they started out. But it wasn't because, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it's because of Michael Hayes they were put on the map. You know, they kind of achieved that success on their own. They weren't with Michael Hayes for very long. And Matt Hardy might prove to be more of a uh, a benefit to them than, than Hayes was to the Hardy Boys back in the day. But uh, we'll see. I mean, they've already lost their first championship match, so it's not like they've been undefeated since they first linked up with Matt Hardy. We'll see where they go from here. It's a good use of Hardy. I assume it's a placeholder thing, just because Sammy Guevara, it looked like they were going to feud or they were going to do something, and then Guevara got suspended. So we'll see where you know that goes once Guevara gets back, whenever that might be. But uh, yeah, no, I thought it was a really good match. We talked about this last week and the week before that in terms of who takes those titles from Omega and Page. Um, yeah, they have beaten almost every team in that division. You name them, they've beaten them for the most part, except for FTR. I'll name three teams, and I want you to know. I, I want to get your thoughts on on which team would be best. FTR is probably the the first and foremost, um, and then they also have never beaten Santana and Ortiz, who just completely lack credibility right now. And then the Dark Order, which it did seem like they were building the Dark Order, getting a title shot before they had to go into quarantine, and they had to completely scrap that tag team title match with a double or nothing pay per view. So do you think they might get back on track with Dark Order? Do they rebuild Santana and Ortiz? Or is it FTR taking the titles and then building to an FTR Young Bucks match with the gold up for grabs? Um, That's a good question. Uh, Santana and Ortiz, they, I mean, they, they, like you said, they're pretty directionless now. They haven't really won a match that mattered in a while. So they, I think they'd have to rehab them pretty well before I would give them a tag match. Um, Dark Order, they've been on the show recently winning, so... At least it makes sense for them to win, but I, I don't think they should be the ones beating Omega Page and FTR. I think they're probably the most reasonable team to take the belts off them. I just don't think them and the Bucks really need the belts on the line. You could you could just do them them versus them just sells itself. You don't need the belts on the line for that. So um, I think if anyone was going to take the belts off them, it'd probably be FTR. But I don't think it's totally necessary. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think we've said that before that I think FTR Bucks sells itself for the all out pay per view. Um, what do you do with Paige and Omega in the meantime? I thought, again, I my original prediction was that they would lose the titles to the best friends. And I don't think that changed because Moxley wasn't there and whatever. I mean, they had they could have very easily had best friends win last week and then do the rematch this week. So it's not just because they had to fill a, a slot or something. Um, I don't think that's the case at all. So also on, that, on this show, speaking of Moxley, Moxley and Brian Cage announced for next week's Fight for the Fallen pay-per-view on our you know, live special, whatever, um, on Dynamite next Wednesday. We've already mentioned this, but do you see John Moxley very likely retaining that AEW World Championship next week? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, I think it's been built out pretty well. I just, I don't know. I just don't think Cage is the one to beat Moxley. Um, yep. Be very interesting to see what they do with him after. Um, seems like people he's fought recently. Once they've lost to Moxley, they've kind of fallen into purity. So, see what see what happens. I just don't think Cage is the one to beat Moxley. So, I, I would just keep it on keep it on Mox. So he'll not be walking out of Fight for the Fallen as very likely, again, as the new AEW World Champion, but he will be walking out with some new gold that he got on this show, the FTW Championship. Now, Taz had been hyping up this major announcement for Fighter Fest Night 2 last night, and as soon as I saw him holding the, um, the bag or whatever, I figured it was the FTW Championship. Now, I am far from a hardcore ECW fan. I've seen my fair share of pay-per-views. I know what the FTW Championship is. 
I have no personal connection to it. So for him to announce, oh, we got a new championship. I mean, it's not an actually sanctioned title. So it's not an actual championship that's been won by Brian Cage. It's not an extra championship in AEW. It's really just a belt. And uh, Taz, as he mentioned, he has not had it on the show. He has not shown it, revealed it, given it to anyone since 1999, over two decades ago, um, over 21 years ago at this point. Um, it was a championship that he held himself, that he created himself in the absence of the ECW championship back then in the mid to late 90s. Um, I think Sabu or Rob Van Dam may have held it at some point, but other than that, it's been a Taz exclusive title. Now in the hands of Brian Cage. Did this land for you at all, RJ? Were you at all familiar with the championship? What were your thoughts on this? Honestly, I had no clue what was going on. Uh, <laughs> just on, it, it totally missed the boat here for me. I just, I, I it the realist, realistically, just it was just like giving him a belt to give him a belt to make it make it seem like it's a bigger deal than it is. I don't know. Just like you said, missed the boat completely with me. Not really aware of what the title was. I like. It'd be one thing if it was like when Bischoff gave Triple H the uh, World Heavyweight Championship from WCW. So like people like kind of knew what it was, and like they needed their own champion, so they gave him a obviously gave him the belt to be the Raw champion. Like here, I had to go online, look at it up, kind of see what it was all about, and just I think the purpose of it was just to give him a belt to make it a bigger deal, but it just kind of fell flat for me. Well, at least with the World Heavyweight Championship belt, it was only maybe six months after they retired it when they created the Undisputed Championship back in 2002 that they brought it back as like a Raw Championship. It's been 21 years, dude. Like, there are people watching the show that weren't even alive when this championship was around. I wasn't watching ECW back then. I was barely even alive. I was four years old the last time the championship was around. Um, but I just know what it is. I've heard about it. I've seen it before. It's not like... I don't know if they were going for that million-dollar championship effect, like when Ted DiBiase, million-dollar man, gave it to his son, Ted DiBiase, or the ringmaster back in the day. Not that really that meant a lot either, just because it was a championship that was never really officially sanctioned. To me, this just screamed, all right, this guy is not winning the top championship next week. We'll give him something else to kind of you know, soften the blow for when he doesn't win next week. Is that accurate? Sounds accurate. I just don't think that's the right way to approach it, but... I mean, a belt, it's not like it has, like, something like you said, like you said before, it's not like it's, like, it just got retired and had some kind of prestige. Like you said, it's been retired for 20 years. Most of the people that are watching this show don't have no idea what the what it was, and it just, it's like, it's like a participation trophy, kind of. It's like giving him a belt to make him seem more important than he is, and just, if he loses, how much does the belt really mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it, but I wasn't a big fan of it. Like, oh my god, the FTW Championship. Like, I'm, I would love to know what percentage of the audience. Like, if this happened in front of a live crowd, dude, this would have gone over like a fucking fart in church. I think. It went over like the uh, Butcher and Blade debut. <laughs> exactly. Unless this show is in Philadelphia, and even then I'm not convinced that this championship reveal would have gotten a major, major reaction. But to hype it up as this major announcement, I guess it makes sense if he's a heel. I'm not exactly sure what people were expecting to begin with. It sounded to me like, hey, we're not having the championship match on the show, so we're going to try to get people to watch our show by promoting this big announcement that never actually ended up... I mean, it was an announcement, but it wasn't really anything that was anything all that major. Let's put it that way. Um, I guess you could say the same thing about NXT. Robert Stone was saying, oh, I got a new client. And first of all, that's a fucking joke. Second of all, they never revealed who it was. And third of all, I didn't go into NXT saying, oh, I can't wait to hear what Robert Stone has to say about his new client. Because we know it's going to be a joke, considering he's already associated with Aaliyah. 
Um, but back to Fighter Fest, we have Lance Archer and Joey Janela going one-on-one here. Um, I thought the match was all right. Lance Archer obviously winning as he should have. It wasn't a terrible match by any means. It was well-wrestled. We've discussed this ad nauseum, dude. Why did it take 11 minutes for Lance Archer to beat Joey Janela? That's my question to you. Yeah, that's my question with this match here. I, I mean, I just I didn't really understand it. You're trying to build up a monster. He's been floundering since he lost to Cody. He's been a regular in AEW Dark, struggling to beat Jobbers at that point. Um, I just didn't really get this match. I mean, like you said, it was it a decent match? Yeah, but it had no right to be. It had it lasted. 10 minutes too long. I mean, yep. you're trying to build up a monster here. He hasn't done much since he's lost, had his one loss, and you have him in a competitive 10-minute match with fucking Joey Janela, who is terrible. I just thought he got way too much offense in. It didn't... Oh, my, they made it try to seem at the very end when he did his finish through the table. Oh, oh my God, like, look what he did. Yeah, it took him... It had to, he had to put him through a table 10 minutes in to beat this guy. He was a loser. I just, I, I just, that's not how you build up a monster. I don't think it really helps Lance Archer at all, especially the casual fans. It's supposed to be this big badass who's taking 10 minutes to beat these losers. So I think it just, it just, it also just boggles my mind. So they did this with Lance Archer. It took him 10 minutes to beat a loser. Later on the show, when they have another monster with Nyla Rose, who I don't really care for that much, at least she beat two freaking jobbers in a handicap match in like a minute. Mm-hmm. Like that's how you build up a monster and build up someone that's like supposed to be bigger than life. You feed them these losers and they kick their ass in two minutes. And then you're like, holy shit, they're like a big deal. Not 10 minutes to beat some guy that's a fucking glorified loser. Yeah, no, exactly. They have that same issue in Dark. I think we talked about that in depth last week about how they have the established people take way too long to beat these jobbers. I don't know if that was the case this week on Dynamite. I think it was. I don't remember, like, there was there was one match. I'd have to go back, not on Dynamite, on Dark. I'd have to go back and look at the results. But, like, it took Sean Spears maybe four or five minutes to beat Brian Pillman Jr., a match that you would think, okay, it goes 10, 12 minutes, because actually Brian Pillman is established. He's not another job guy. Yet it took Michael Nakazawa to beat some scrub in, like, six minutes, and the match was terrible anyway. That's six minutes of my life I will never get back. Uh, with a thong finish, oh, God, just the less said about it, the better. Um, but when it comes to this stuff, it just I'm looking at the timestamps now on Wikipedia. Dude, the match was 15 seconds shorter than the tag team title match. I mean, not everything has to be 10 minutes. I feel like they have this notion like, oh, everything has to be a, a great... You know, 10-minute competitive match, and it, it just doesn't. It doesn't have to be. So, um, I'm, I'm not a fan of it. I like the fact that he won, but if this doesn't lead to him beating, so you know, uh, Sonny Kiss in two minutes in the next show, then I just don't care. And it's it's got to lead to him becoming more dominant, destructive. Get in, get your shit in, and get out. Like, that's all this has got to be. This has not got to be some sort of competitive, out-wrestle-each-other type of match with Joey Janela, who has not won any important matches in the company. Which I guess you could say the same thing about Lance Archer, but Lance Archer has a much higher ceiling in this company, in my opinion, than Joey Janela. So we get to the eight-man tag team match on this show, which I thought was actually very, very good. Um, the Butcher and the Blade and the Lucha Brothers successfully knocking off the uh, the the quad. I don't know what you would call that, the quadrant or something. Um, FDR and the Young Bucks, great, great tag team match. I thought their styles meshed very, very well. And uh, as I expected, I, I think you may have lean towards my prediction as well. Um, the Butcher and the Blade and the Lucha Bros going over after some miscommunication in the ranks. 
between FTR and the Young Bucks. Um, how great of a showcase was this, RJ, for tag team wrestling in AEW, and how it kind of set the stage for the upcoming inevitable FTR Young Bucks match? No, uh, I, I I thought the beginning of the match was well. I, I liked uh, with the Lucha Bros and FTR uh, mixing it up. I thought it was good. They had like a classic, just normal tag team match. Then once the Bucks and Butcher and Blade started getting, it started getting convoluted. Started fucking. It'd be like two or three guys in the in the ring at the same time, ignoring the refs count. That stuff kind of bothered me. Um, but once they settled it down and just focused on the actual tag team wrestling, it, I thought it was pretty well. But once everyone started getting involved and started becoming a car crash in my mind. Um, the fucking Canadian Destroyer, like, why? I mean, was it a cool move? Yeah, but, like, it's not worth the... Like, doing Canadian Destroyer on five or six other people, I mean, that's just a fucking neck injury or accident waiting to happen. Like, no, it was so unnecessary. I mean, you, I understand you want to have all these big moves, but to what cost is it to say, yeah, maybe we shouldn't do that. Just like they didn't do in this match, but like the reverse Rana on their apron, like I don't need to see that anymore. And just, it just, I feel like a lot of this match was just big moves that hit big moves that just didn't do it. Like there wasn't even the finish. The finish was, I like the, the best part of the match was the finish. I like the miscommunication. They were on the same page, the whole match. They had a little miscommunication at the end. Lucha bros win one, two, three. Like that was my favorite part of the match was the finish. I think the finish was right. The way they executed was good. But the, everything in between besides the beginning was kind of just a car crash and hitting big moves hit big moves. I like the Canadian Destroyer spot initially, but now that you mention it, how much impact does it really have when the whole point of the move, it's, it's a glorified pile driver to drive their head right into the mat. There's no mat there. They're going into people. So it's not like you went into the ground, you know? So how much of an impact does that really have? It doesn't have a lot, but like I said, it's just him coming over and the momentum and just their weight, like break someone's fucking neck oh yeah from that standpoint i agree absolutely yeah it just it's just one of those things just like ugh, i just don't i just if it's not going to be the finish just i just don't love it and i don't even really like when adam cole does it and he doesn't get a win on it it's just like the sake of doing a big move just to do a big move i just never really been a big fan of that no i agree yeah. I just i don't think it's worth the injury if it's not gonna it's i don't know i just don't like it yeah, no, no, I'm not going to shit on this and then say, oh my God, Adam Cole hitting it on NXT and then Keith Lee kicking out. What a great moment. Like, it should not be done at all unless it's winning the match. I think I've said this before, but Petey Williams, who originated the move by all accounts, has hit it God knows how many times over the course of his career. He's only had it kicked out of, I think, once, if I'm not mistaken, in like recent years in TNA. That's it. That's how you protect the move. And I feel like everyone kicks out of it nowadays. It's even worse when, like, Dustin Rhodes does it. Like, dude, stop. Please just stop. That that just bothers me. Um, but I did really like the match overall. I understand where your uh, issues with this came from, but I like the match overall. Th- set the stage for the upcoming encounter between the Bucks and FTR. Um, the Lucha Bros. This has got to be considered a necessary major victory for them, right? They're the ones that picked the win for their team. Yeah, well, interesting to see what they do next. I know they're facing FTR next week on Fight for the Fallen, so we'll see what happens, hopefully. I mean, it's one of those things that I'm assuming they'll probably lose here to get FTR a win back, but I hope they, I hope they kind of put them more in a positive light, push them more. Um, kind of feel like since they had those initial matches with the Bucks uh, right when AEW started, they've kind of floundered and haven't really done anything important. So we'll see what happens, but I uh, hope this is uh, brighter pastures for the Lucha Bros. Hopefully, hopefully. We then had Nyla Rose knocking off the duo of Kenzie Page and Kylan King in exactly what it needed to be. 
Um, pretty standard, straightforward squash match. Nyla Rose gets on the mic afterward and, out, and announces she's getting a manager. And I'm not the biggest Nyla Rose fan. She has grown on me. I thought this was a great way to book her here, as we talked about earlier with Lance Archer. Um, I don't know if I need to see her have a manager. She could talk well enough. Not everyone has to have a manager. Not that there's a ton of them in AEW. Um, I don't know. I just don't know if it's entirely necessary. I feel like it might be more of like a, ooh, wait to see who it is type of thing, which is cool. I'm looking forward to seeing who it is. Um, first of all, do you care? And second of all, I mean, the answer is probably no. And the second question, um, do you have any expectations for who that manager might be? So I thought the match, like you said before, was just what it should have been. Just a quick squash, got Nyla Rose over well. Not her biggest fan, but if you're going to build her, you're going to build her as a monster, book her as a monster. Jesus Christ. That was like, this is exactly what it should have been. She killed two jobbers in three minutes, if that. Um, got on the mic. I don't think she's the greatest talker, but don't really, really need her to talk anyways. But, yep. uh, don't really care about the manager. Don't think it's totally necessary. Who it could possibly be? I honestly have no clue. Um, I think. I mean, her point. I understand her point of wanting a manager, but she's like, um, don't think it's totally necessary. So, it, it, like you said, I think it's going to be more of the suspense of who it's going to be than actually caring about the manager after the fact. But um, we'll see what happens. I just don't think she really needs one. I don't think she's that bad of a talker, and it's not like the women really talk that much anyway. So. Um, more interesting to see who it is than the actual execution of the manager. I saw, it might have been Solomon there, and I don't think this is, he didn't say that this is who he wanted it to be. This is merely who he, I think, thought it would be. And it makes too much sense to not do, even though I do not want to see this, a lot of people do not want to see this, did not want to see this. There's been a lot of speculation that it could be Vicky Guerrero. Now, oh, God. I have no desire to see that dude at all. You know my thoughts on this. We've talked about it before. I thought the end of her run as a GM, as a manager in WWE, was unbearable. And obviously, that's the point of her character. Get booze, excuse me, blah, blah, blah. But, like, it came to a point where she was so overexposed. She was on every fucking show. She did everything. She was all over these shows. I just, I do not need to see that at all, dude. I'm complete. I mean, it does make a lot of sense. Completely out on that idea, though. I, I'm all set with seeing Vicky Guerrero on uh, <laughs> wrestling TV in 2020. I'm all set with that. Yeah, exactly. You can't say, oh, you know, they got her out of there when they should have WWE did when she was Raw GM, blah blah blah. But I, you know, I, I, you know, um, I love her. I, I love her in AEW, but I hated her in WWE. That makes no sense. It makes a lot of sense in the sense that she's been on the show quite a bit in the last couple of months. She was a dark commentator, which she was terrible at. She absolutely fucking sucked on commentary. Um, and then she's come in for other stuff in the last couple of months, which is fine for the occasional cameo. I think it's okay. But as a full-on manager, unless she's looking for a paycheck, like I just have no desire to see that whatsoever. Um, also on the show, we had a six-man tag team match pitting SCU, all of SCU, against Cole Cabana and the Dark Orders, Brody Lee and Stu Grayson. The match was what it was, Cole Cabana picking up the win for his team, seemingly indicating that he might become a full-fledged member of the Dark Order eventually. He has been winning a lot more lately. Um, I know you're not big on the Cole Cabana-Dark Order thing. Any additional thoughts on the angle and the fact that Cole Cabana picked up the win for his team here? Well, it's just a decent match, like you said before. I thought it got over the story. Well, Colt winning again, but I don't, I don't think real. I don't care enough about Cabana that joining the Dark Order is going to gain my more interest into into that stable. Did you hear a couple of weeks ago? I think Luther was on Talk as Jericho about a week or two ago, 
And he actually said that the original plan was for him to be the exalted one. Not originally, but that was one of the ideas thrown around when he was first brought in, um, you know, earlier this year, late last year, whatever. I think the original plan, as Jericho actually confirmed, and he would know because he's like a head honcho there creatively, it was supposed to be Marty Skrull and then Matt Hardy and then Luther, which I guess was batted around for at least a little bit before they settled on Brody Lee. Hearing that, do you think they made the right call and going and going for Brody Lee, or would the you know have the um, factions' fortunes you know changed considerably had they indeed brought in Marty Skrull as they probably originally planned? Out of either, hmm, I think Marty Skrull would have been the best. I would have been the best. I think that was probably their first choice, and obviously when he re-signed with Ring of Honor, that was not going to happen. I like Brody Lee over. I think he would is a better fit than Matt Hardy and, I mean, for God's sakes, if it was Luther. <laughs> if he was a, if he was the exalted one, they wouldn't be on TV anymore, I swear to God. So, I mean, I think they did a good job with Brody Lee. I think Skrull probably would have been the best. Um, but Brody Lee, I think, has been a decent exalted one. I, I don't know if they booked him correctly to make me care enough about the group, but I think it would have been better than Matt Hardy and, for the love of God, Luther. If, if Luther was the exalted one, they would not be on TV anymore. What, you don't love the Japanese deathmatch legend, Luther? But then, the thing is, now that I'm thinking about it, if they didn't have Luther, maybe they wouldn't have got rid of the Nightmare Collective. So, I don't know. But, I mean, both of them suck with him. I'd have no interest in Luther at all. Guy's just not my cup of tea, and I don't think he's a cup of tea of most people. So, <laughs> the less of Luther, the more I watch AEW. <laughs> Who's worse, Luther or Michael Nakazawa? Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> God, that's a tough one. I think I could stomach Luther more. Nakazawa's just a fucking loser. <laughs> well, you didn't love the uh, the oil being poured on him and the match in Dark this week and then how he slipped out of it and put the guy, it put his own thong in the guy's mouth to, to beat him? Yeah, I'm all set with that trash. I'm all set with that stuff. It's so fucking stupid. <laughs> it's so dumb. We get to the main event on this show, Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy. Jericho obviously winning. Um, I thought it was a very good match. Now, my issue with... I mean, Jericho can think whatever he wants. He obviously said this merely to get people excited about the match because this compared to Lee and Cole... Honestly, Lee and Cole was not a five-star classic. So if you said you enjoyed this more than that, I'm not going to sit here and argue with you. From a booking standpoint, though, I'm saying that, first of all, Jericho said, oh, this was one of the best matches I had in my entire 30-year career. And if that's true, he's setting the bar pretty low. And we know he's had a lot better matches than this. So I don't, first of all, I don't agree with that. But if he believes that truly, then whatever. It's his career. The second thing is that, again, very good match. Jericho is obviously high enough in Orange Cassidy where we wanted to make him a star. Did he? Time will tell. This is the same guy that lost to fucking Fandango at WrestleMania, and he went nowhere after that. Fandango, that is, so uh, time will tell. But the shenanigans, the interference, the... I think he used a baseball bat to hit Orange Cassidy and he kicked out of it, blah, blah, blah. Hit a code breaker and he kicked out. I don't know, dude. I could see what they were going for. To me, though, I feel like, again, very good match. I feel like it's just the wrong person to put in this position. Like, if they really want to put over someone strong like this, then have it be a Jungle Boy or a Scorpio Sky, both of whom Jericho has already beaten before. Um, but you know, someone of the Darby Allen or someone of that caliber for him to have to cheat in order to be orange Cassidy, who I don't ever see getting above a certain level. And he is popular and they should be doing a lot with him, but it, they kind of made him out to be like the next top guy in the company based off how he was booked here. And I know that bothered you. That bothered you as much as it did me. 
Yeah, I mean, I like Orange Cassidy. I mean, is he everyone's cup of tea now? Is he is he entertaining? Yeah, but he's a comedy guy. It's like it's like if Santino had a twenty minute match with with John Cena, and John Cena needed all the shenanigans to beat him. I mean, it's just one of those things. I just and if he, I I thought the match was it was a good decent match. It had its comedy spots, made Jericho look stupid at sometimes. But if you think that's one of his best matches in his career, he must be just fucking. Soaking that paycheck they're signing to them because I, I I mean I could I've seen better matches of Jericho and superstars for Christ's sakes but um <laughs> I like you said I think the biggest issue I have with it just not the right guy and you you beat me to it I would have said like if he had like a match like this with Jungle Boy I think that could do a lot for Jungle Boy down the line I think don't know if he could I don't know if he's going to be a main event guy but I think he at least has the look the issue with Orange Cassidy like I said comedy guy does. Even though he doesn't have the size, you can say Adam Cole's not the biggest guy, but at least he looks the part. He's got the muscles. He has the look of someone that could be a big... Orange Cassidy's this fucking... He looks like your, your fucking cashier at Stop and Shop. I mean, it's not even like he's, like, at least he's small, but he has, like, a good physique, and he could actually think this guy could be a big deal. It just... I don't know. That's what bothered me the most that Jericho had a... He had a more competitive match with Jericho than he did with Pac. So where does that put Jericho at this point? Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure he, I think, uh, I don't know if he did. Did Orange Cassidy ever face Lance, Ar Lance Archer? I feel like he faced him and got his ass kicked. So, I mean, obviously it's booking and they're obviously Cassidy's getting more over now, but I just don't see him getting over a certain level. And I just think the rub should have been to someone, like you said, Darby or, I mean, it's not Sammy because he's, he's with Jericho, but like Jungle Boy, Darby Allen, Scorpio Sky, one of those guys, maybe Mark, Mark Quinn, like, Put on someone that could actually get to the main event level than having someone that's a comedy guy that's never going to get to a certain point. Yeah, that was my issue with it. That was my issue. Because it's all about the aftermath. We say it a lot here on this show, but it's true. So do you put the do you put the TNT title on Orange Cassidy? Like, what do you even do with him after this? Who do you have him feud with that's above Chris Jericho? I feel like he's reached his peak in this feud, and there's nowhere to go but down unless he wins a championship, which I just don't see happening. I completely agree. I don't really know where you go with him from here. I mean... Besides Jericho, Pack, and Archer, they don't really have too many. I mean, you're gonna have him fucking go have a competitive match with Cage after he loses with Jericho. He's only that stupid FTW belt. Mm -hmm. I mean, besides that, what else can you do? So, I don't know. I just, it's interesting. I think, yeah, I honestly don't know. I just with a competitive match like that, like you said, it hopefully, if it was like a Jungle Boy or Darby or something like that, you could see him down the line winning the belt. But with with Orange Cassidy, I just don't see it. Yeah, and I don't see it happening. Um, with Jericho winning here, what do you think is next for him? Is it the Mike Tyson match at All Out, or is it someone else you see him setting his sights on? That's interesting. I don't know. They, since the whole debut of Tyson, they've kind of went away from it, haven't really brought it up. So we'll see. Maybe next week he's stroking himself and Tyson comes out again, or they kind of set up something else. But I don't know. We'll see. It just uh, Not that he's directionless, but... It's kind of directionless, so we'll see what happens. But um, just there's not really too many other big baby faces as well, besides like Cody, who he's faced. Um, he's beaten everybody. Lost. That's the thing. Yeah, beat Hangman. He beat Omega. Yeah, so. beat Cody. Beat Cody. Like I said, beat Mo or face no, Moxley. Yeah, but still, but yeah. So we'll see what happens. But uh, like you said, it's one of those things that they kind of done a lot of with him, and it's just. That's why, I think that's why at this point he is facing comedy guys, because he's already beaten everybody else. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that's probably why. And again, I like the feud. I like the fact that Orange Cassidy was made to look competitive. But as competitive as he was here, I don't know. I can't really say, oh, that's a star-making performance without seeing what comes afterward. If the guy goes back to facing Michael Nakazawa in Dark, then who gives a shit? You know, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, but we kind of switch over here to Great American Bash from NXT, airing opposite of Fighter Fest on Wednesday night. Another very good show. We kicked it off with a straight fight between Candice LeRae and Mia Yim. Very good match here, taking the fight all over the arena, putting each other through tables and just battering each other, bruising each other up. Uh, just an all-out war here. But in the end, it was Candice LeRae picking up the victory, in my opinion, as she should have. What were your thoughts in the opener, RJ, from Great American Bash Night 2? Thought it was a good match, like you said. I uh, like the uh, street kind of wear, not their normal wrestling gear, with with what uh, Yim and Larray wore for this match. Got all went around the uh, PC a little bit or full sale, so that was nice. Got all street fight, uh, street fight feel. wasn't like your like just they just brought a couple chairs and just did like a couple spots and never kind of used the stipulation correctly. Um, Love the finish. I really like the finish. The, that's the twisting neck breaker off the top rope on the chairs. Just like look devastating, and the right person went over with the Larega getting uh, probably one of her biggest wins in NXT so far. So I think the match was good. Right person won, and I, I enjoyed the finish. So uh, thumbs up from me. I agree. I agree. Then we then got an advertised, or I'm sorry, unadvertised match between Bronson Reed and Titus, uh, Titus O'Neil, Tony Nice. Um, they were showing footage of Nice like facing Leon Ruff before the show. I'm like, where the fuck did this air? Were they just having a match for the sake of having a match and Bronson Reed then got involved? Like, it was so bizarre. They were like, oh, this was taped before the show. I'm like, did I miss something? Was there a pre-show? Like, that was weird. Um, but they then did Bronson Reed, Tony Nice. Nice little match. I liked it. Um, Reed goes over here. It, it feels like he's the victim of a lot of start and stop pushes like a Killian Dane where they give him a couple of wins and then they feed him to someone who's bigger, on the, you know, higher up in the totem pole than he is. I think Bronson Reed is actually very, very good. For a guy his size, he can move around like there's no tomorrow. The issue is that they got to stick with him in this role, give him more wins, and not feed him to a, a carrying cross, or and which those guys should be winning, but he shouldn't be facing them right now anyway. Um, so with a Bronson Reed push, are you for it? What were your thoughts in this match? It was a decent match. It was what it was. Like you said, I think Reed has kind of fallen into the push-stop push um, booking. It's kind of like a Bull Dempsey kind of, similar build, similar style and I feel like Bull was the same way. He was starting to get a little push uh, and then all the bigger guys started came, coming in and then that's when he started losing and they switched up his gimmick and then he kind of floundered at that point so you gotta stick with him, keep having him wins but he might, like you said, he might fall into the territory of once they start pushing him, a bigger star comes in and they just feed him to him so Interesting to see what happens. I think he has some potential. It's kind of like you said, like we always say, it's the aftermath. He can win, 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 but when it matters most, he loses, and then they kind of just give up from him, and then he's all done from there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Johnny Gargano versus Isaiah Swerve's got another match that was added to the card in the last couple of days. Very good match. I thought this was awesome. Scott looking great in defeat. Uh, we, we've been big kill shot fans, Shane Strickland fans since his Lucha Underground days. So it was cool to see him in there, a, a competitive against Johnny Gargano, who is also really clicking, my, in my opinion, as a heel. Um, so I really like the match, Gargano going over. What were your thoughts on the matchup and how it could look like at some point we could be getting a gargano Loray tandem as both champions, maybe sooner rather than later? Yeah, I thought it was a good match. It's great to see uh, Scott being utilized just over besides just the Cruiserweight division. I think 
it's good to get him branched out from there, having a good match with Gargano, looking strong in defeat. Um, I've liked that Gargano's a heel. It's interesting to see what they do from here, because um, now that Lee has both titles, he can either go from the North American, like T is carrying across as well. So um, I've enjoyed the Gargano and Larray heel pairing so far. I think they've won more recently than they did before, especially in the race part. So we'll see what happens, but I enjoyed this match. I think it looked good for Scott to have a good showing against the guy that's not a cruiserweight, and, uh, and just Gargano winning just keeps his momentum going as well. I thought it was interesting they aired the interview backstage with Johnny and Candice being interviewed talking about their respective wins on this show, um, which kind of makes me think, depending on where they go with Keith Lee as the North American champion, if Johnny could eventually win that championship back, and then LeRae, having never beaten Io Shirai before, could she be the one to eventually take that championship from Io Shirai, given their history? She could be. She could be the one that beats Io. I think it's still a little soon. Uh, I still want to get more out of Io down in NXT before they just rip the title out of her. So I think a couple more feuds, and then you could have Candice be the one to beat her. Um, I mean, I thought it was going to be Tegan, but clearly they're not going in that direction. seems like they're just going to feed her Tegan, feed Tegan to Io next week. But um, I think Candice could be the one, now that Io is like a tweener or more of a babyface now, that it makes sense for her to lose it to a heel. But uh, I think she should face Knox, Ty first. And then maybe lose it to Candace, but I want a more of a definite reign with uh, the belt for EO than just losing it after a month or two. So you're telling me that you're in no rush to see EO Shirai on Raw getting beat up by Nia Jax? No. I'm not in a rush to see that at all. <laughs> I don't want to see her playing a fucking recorder either anytime soon. <laughs> Kyrie saying, on a side note, does she leave or does she go? What are, what are your thoughts? Stays easily. Come on, money talks, kid. <laughs> Well, I heard reports that she might be an ambassador for the company over in Japan, so she might not be positioned here very longer. That, that's what my impression of the situation was, which I, I think I think she stays too, but there is also the chance that she goes back to Japan and, I don't know, they're building a school over there for NXT or doing NXT Japan? I don't know. It doesn't really seem like the right time for that. No, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? But, I mean, would she be a good ambassador? Yeah, but, I mean, they just have, I, like... It's one of those things, she can't wrestle anymore, okay, then you just turn her into a bastard or a trainer, but she can still go. I mean, I think once she left NXT, it's just, it's just been downhill for her. Um, don't, I, I actually kind of enjoy the heel turn. They just never really did much with her besides the tag team championship. Since they lost those, she's kind of just been Oscar's fucking lackey and whoever heel beats the shit out of so they can get Oscar's attention, which, I mean, I don't think that's the right, right move for her. I mean, if they were going to eventually have her turn on Asuka, maybe, yeah, that would be, like, she'd be like, I kept getting my ass kicked, you never helped me out, so maybe that would be the way to go, but I think since she won the NXT Championship, she's kind of been downhill since, so hopefully get more out of her, but if she can't go, then Ambassador Coach would be the way I would, I would use her. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see. I know she was back on Raw this week in the match against Sasha. We'll, we'll probably give, uh, actually, maybe not, I was going to say we can get some quick Raw thoughts, but there really wasn't of note, much of note that happened on the show this week anyway. Um, but back to Great American Bash. El Legado del Fantasma knocking out the trio of Brizongo and Drake Maverick. Uh, really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed the match. I'm liking the feud between Maverick and uh, Santos Escobar. Uh, the entrance alone is star-making. The guy's a star. I mean, we've said this so many times. The guy's a star. Uh, really enjoyed the match. Very fun pace. Action from bell to bell. In the end, 
my prediction was that the baby faces would win to give magic a few, uh, to give uh you know warrant maverick getting another title shot at some point but he lost in fact not only did he lose he was the one who ate the pinfall at the hands of santos so legato del fantasma go over i had no complaints i just thought maverick would either be protected in defeat or win the match for his team and neither of those things happened um so your thoughts on the six-man tag team affair rj and uh just the stars, as we've talked about before, that Legado del Fantasma are. Yeah, I thought it was a good match. Uh, I think Maverick looked good here. It's probably the best showing I've seen of him. I haven't seen a ton of his matches, but I thought he, I thought he looked good. Um, eating the pinfall probably wasn't ideal. I would probably have like Fandango or Tyler Breeze take the pinfall, but maybe they're just completely moving on from this. But I think the group as a whole for Santos Escobar, I'm not going to butcher the Spanish name, so I'm just going to say Santos Escobar <laughs> stable because I don't want to say it. But I, I I really like it. I, I, I didn't like I did like uh, Raul Mendoza on his own. I thought he was hopefully eventually going to get a run. I, he was kind of like the resident jobber for a while. But he had he's good in the ring. He's a good hand. So I think teaming him with Escobar is just going to do wonders for him and makes me care about Joaquin Wild a little bit more. So the stable itself, I think it's good. I think they have a bright future and hopefully. Um, I mean, I want him to lose the belt soon, but I hope the plans are for him are more than just the cruiserweight division. I hope they can expand that i think he's a star he's just i mean i can see the money signs and pesos already so um i'd be pushing escobar more than they are now and not that i want him to lose the belt but i think the i think he can be a bigger deal than just the cruiserweight division so like the stable like the match right people went over in my mind and uh see what's next for the group el de la fantasma yeah that <laughs> yeah i don't think the cruiserweight division is his ceiling either Mercedes Martinez absolutely squashing Santana Garrett. Um, are you on board with Mercedes Martinez pushing? Could she be the client that Robert Stone was referring to? She could be. Um, I actually really like Santana Garrett, so it's kind of she's kind of like that Diana Peraza role of just getting fucking squashed whenever yep. anyone comes in. So I really like her. I think she could probably they dressed her up a little bit and actually gave her some wins. I think she could actually. Not, I don't think she's amazing, but she's good in the ring. I think she could be a bigger deal than she is. Um, She's Martinez. I'm not her biggest fan. I think she's good in the ring. Just I don't know. I don't see dollar signs with her. Um, maybe she's the next partner of Robert Stone, but does it really matter? The guy's a glorified loser. <laughs> not at this point. The Chelsea, the Chelsea Green thing was a complete waste. How is it that he's on TV now more than he ever has been before, yet we haven't seen Chelsea Green since she dumped him over a month ago? Who knows? Who knows? It's got to be because she's main roster bound. We also have not seen Dominic Dijakovic since he lost to Johnny two months ago. I mean, they got to be main roster bound, and they just don't know when to debut them because otherwise there's no reason to not have them on NXT. Um, so we get to the main event. Champion versus champion title for title. Keith Lee, the North American champion versus Adam Cole, the NXT champion. Very good main event. Uh, great stuff here. Obviously, it would have been better with a hotter crowd with an actual audience there, but you just make do with what you have. Um, good suspense. The kickouts were a little much. That's a common criticism of the Cole matches, and I totally get it. I understand. I'm not going to defend it saying, oh, it adds to the suspense. And I guess it does a little bit. But when they overdo it in every fucking match he has, it's annoying. Uh, but the match was very good. Great drama down the stretch. Yes, it was spoiled in advance. We didn't talk about that last week um, because I think the news came out after we talked. But, uh, yeah, I guess they recorded it, like, not that they, re they recorded it last week, but one of the guys from Indusheer actually spoiled it on his Instagram Live, which is incredibly stupid. 
Um, I didn't read it. I kind of figured Keith Lee would win, but it was still a great moment. Very good match. Great moment. Keith Lee, as we've been petitioning here for a long time, now a dual champion, not only the North American champion, but the NXT champion. Did this main event deliver to you, RJ? I thought that match was good. I don't think it was the five-star classic we were expecting. I Honestly, this is so, like... The fucking PC people bang on the fucking plexiglass bothered me than knowing it. It's like fucking more distracting than actually, like, I don't know, that fucking bothered me a lot. I think it's just, like, took away from the match a lot. I just, they just always fucking banging on the fucking glass. Like, just clap, just clap. It's fucking way better than banging on the glass. Mm-hmm. Um, but the match that was good, like you said, the, the, like you said, the, the fucking false finishes. Not a big fan of that. It just—I mean, it's—it's it's like literally a staple of Adam Cole matches. But uh, thought it was good. Keith Lee winning. I think the not the finish felt flat. It kind of just came out of nowhere. Um, I just thought it was a good win. I just—I think we probably maybe hyped ourselves up more than it was. I thought, like I said, thought it was a good match. It just wasn't a five-star classic that we thought it was going to be. No, I agree. I agree. Um, I'm not sure what that was. What the reason for that was, maybe because it wasn't a takeover, I don't know. It was a very good match, not as great as I thought it would be, but still very good. Um, With the right result, of course, Keith Lee now an NXT and North American champion. What does he do? Does he hold both belts a la Seth Rollins from 2015, or does he vacate the North American championship a la the Ultimate Warrior with the IC title back in uh, 90 after he beat Hogan? Um, I don't know what you do with him. I just, I think there's a lot of credible challengers, so... I don't know. Maybe he just like. Thing is, I don't really want him to vacate one of the belts, and then I think it kind of loses the prestige of the belt. So, I I would have him defend it. I'd probably have him lose the North American title sooner rather than later, so he can just focus on on the uh, uh, NXT Championship, kind of like what they did with Becky. Like she only had the two belts for like not even two months. So yep. I would go with that with that aspect. Uh, maybe Gargano wins the North American Championship, and then you do him and. Eh, Thing, him and Cross, but I mean, I think they're really high in carrying Cross as well. So it'll be interesting <laughs> to see how long he holds the belts for. But yeah. uh, I, I just, like I said, I thought the match was good. I think he was the one that beat Cole. Maybe because it wasn't a takeover. Maybe they were running low on time, so kind of seen because it's not a takeover. They're not, not like I think on a takeover, it's fine if they go over a few minutes because it's on a fucking t- it's on a network that they are not worried about going over time so maybe that's why what felt wrong like i said i just felt like the finish was kind of not rushed just seemed very out of nowhere so um but yeah i think keith lee's the one to beat cole and glad he won just interesting to see what they do with him next yeah no i agree i definitely agree i I thought it was a good match i'm looking forward to seeing where they go from here um a lot of opportunities to book different challengers obviously mentioned johnny gargano i think there's some unfinished business there um, I would rather he defend both belts, a lot like Rollins did and Becky. Granted, they weren't for very long. Um, but I always go back to the Jay Lethal thing. Jay Lethal was um, the television champion in Ring of Honor when he won the World Championship. He had both belts for, like, I would say four or five months, at least, like a while. And, like, he would defend the TV title in the opener and then the NXT, or the, I'm sorry, the Ring of Honor World Championship in the main event. Now, you don't have to do that with Keith on every takeover, but I think holding both belts really, like, I hate the whole, oh, vacate it, let's have a tournament, like, we've seen a lot of tournaments lately, it would mean more if he gets beat, but then again, as you mentioned, maybe Johnny pins him to win the North American title, so clearly with Karrion Cross, they're building to him contending for the NXT Championship, 
Um, they teased him watching from the stands, and him obviously is going to be—he's going to be facing Keith Lee on the Sooner side. So do you have him get pinned twice? It's—it's it's a very precarious position because, like, oh, I'm going to vacate the North American Championship, and then Keith Lee goes on to lose the NXT Championship like a month later. It just kind of feels pointless. And maybe they move up and move him up to the main roster on the Sooner side. I don't know, um, but I'm very interested to see where they go from here. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was a good main event. Keith Lee has been an absolute star since he arrived really in the last eight months with the uh, the way they've been pushing him and the people he's beaten, the matches he's had. Uh, I thought it was a good way to close out the show. Um, your overall thoughts, again, RJ, uh, on Great American Bash and Fighter Fest Night 2 for both events. I thought they were both, like you said, good shows. I think I, I mean, I feel like I was way more positive NXT. Um, I don't know. I just thought, I, I just thought it was a little bit better. I think... Things that happened made sense. I mean, that's kind of my main thing. Not a lot, no, I don't think I really saw any interference, which is fucking amazing. That's my fucking biggest bugaboo about wrestling. <laughs> Keep yeah. the interference limited. I don't want to see, like, I just don't want, I just, I just don't like it. It's just it, when it's done correctly, yes, but when it's every fucking match, I'm all set with it. It's just, just too much. But I thought, I think both shows had its bright spots. Um, probably gonna watch Fight for the Fallen first next week. Um, first, probably, just because they have more advertised. And like you said, we usually flip-flop anyways. But um, I think it's EO versus TG next week. Very excited for that. Yep. I think it's going to be a good match. I think EO has to win. I mean, if she loses, she's the sh- probably the shortest women's champion in NXT history. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. Maybe maybe Ky- Kyrie is leaving, so they're going to call up EO to play the fucking recorder. Who knows? Um <laughs> But no, I think next. I think I'm trying to think what other match they had. Uh, oh yeah, Cameron Cummings, Damian Priest. Not a big fan of either of those guys either. But uh, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, you're not gonna be a fan of everyone. So I think it's gonna be a good match. Don't really give a shit about that. But uh, uh, Flavor looks good. Mox and Cage. I think Mox is gonna win. Yep. Should still be a good match though. Uh, FTR and Lucha Bros should be a great match. Leaning towards FTR, I kind of want Lucha Bros to win, but. I mean, FTR can't just keep losing a ton of matches to lead up to them and the Bucks. Um, can't wait for Sonny Kiss and Cody. I was Hope just about minutes. to say, that was announced like a Hope, five minutes ago. <laughs> Hope it's a 20-minute fucking Matt Classic <laughs> with Sonny Kiss. Hope he does the, the ass of the face spot. Can't wait for that. Um, besides that, I don't know what else to advertise. I'm going to watch for the following first, but uh, I think both shows have been entertaining. It's Like you said, best best night of wrestling is definitely Wednesday nights. Uh, get a little chocolate, get a little vanilla, get a little shit in between. So, uh, Love not it. bad. I mean, it is what it is. I think it's more bearable than Raw's been and more bearable than SmackDown's been. So, can't complain. Try to enjoy both shows. Try to dissect both shows. Don't just shit on everything. But, um, yeah. Looking forward to it. You looking forward to the Dustin Rhodes interference and the Cody uh, Sunny Kiss match? I can't, I can't wait. Him and Arn, Brandy probably get involved. Fucking Joey <laughs> Nutella will get involved. There'll be a fucking smorgasbord of interference. Hopefully Cody gets a little color, like mm-hmm. he's facing fucking John Cena at WrestleMania. And uh, can't wait. Looking forward to it, Mr. Marcel. Well, next week we have our predictions for um, Extreme Rules. The horror show, excuse me, at Extreme Rules, coming up next Sunday. I uh, didn't give any thoughts on Raw, but very quickly... An eye for an eye. Why? Why, Mr. Marcel? Uh, That's what I got to ask you. Don't. I don't know. I just eh, don't. I don't really get that one. Um, I mean, I think Seth has to win. I mean, I've seen people say Ray's going to win, but no. 
gonna be Seth. Come on. Yeah. But uh, I don't get it. Just I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like you said, why? It's more about why. Like I don't. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we'll talk all about it next week right here in the show as we preview Extreme Rules. Um, that's going to be in the back half, or that might actually kick off the show um, next week. So last night I talked to the Cowboy James Storm. We talked for over almost 90 minutes. We talked for a long time. Um, that's going to be our next week as well, talking all things uh, impact, fortune, which I know you were a big fan of as I was. I asked a lot of interesting questions, so that conversation should be hitting the show next week. NWA, why he didn't go to WWE, and so much more. Um, I also talked about the TNA stench too, which I know you would appreciate. Perfect. Perfect. So that'll be on the show next week. And, uh, Mr. Marceau, people can find you on the Twitter machine at RJ underscore Marceau. And, uh, yeah. Any final words before we, uh, ride off into the sunset here, Mr. Marceau? Uh, got nothing. GSM. <laughs> when do you ever is my question. Yep. Take care, Mr. Marceau. Have a great one. And I'll catch your ass down the road. Later.